and welcome to StarkCast. I'm Joe Stark, and today I am talking with the meme queen herself from the Leftover Army, Bridget. What is up? Hey, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> meme queen, huh? <laughs> it just sounded nice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going to get a text from Rebecca being like, there can be only one queen in this army. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I pres- I told her I prefer Winter Soldier's wife. <laughs> Fantastic. How have you been? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> doing pretty good. <laughs> I've, got, I've got to mow my yard at some point today. It'll be the first time oh. I get my mower out for the season. Oh, that's always a joy. <laughs> yeah. And there's like rain in the forecast. So my wife's like, remember, you have to mow. <laughs> It's going to rain. And I'm like, I know, I know. Damn it. (laughs) I have that lurking in the back of my mind that I must mow. But but otherwise, you know, it's pretty, pretty carefree Saturday, which I'll take because it is, it has been hectic, hectic, hectic otherwise. Well, you know, this is the one thing I have to say. Okay. People stop saying that you're in quarantine. Unless you have the virus, you cannot be quarantined. You're in solitude. Okay. That's all I have to say. (laughs) <laughs> or you're sequestered, okay? Sequestered. Yeah, that's a fancier way. Because, <laughs> you know, I was talking to my sister, my older sister, Pam. Um, she lives out east from me on Long Island. And she's like, I love this isolation thing. It's the best thing for me, you know, because I hate being around people. she's like school is closed it's awesome i can cross stitch all day if i want i'm like go pam (laughs) (laughs) yeah since i'm working from home i don't like i i haven't had i mean i don't have any more free time than i had before uh, you know other than figuring in like commute time which is really not that much yeah, well, I've been home since um, April 5th. Um, I work for a power supply manufacturer, and a lot of our um, products go for the military. So we're considered essential. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of this whole virus thing, you know, the president didn't want anyone to get the virus. He He's looking out for his employees, but I count myself very fortunate that I'm being paid you know, I'm on leave, but I'm being paid for it, and I don't have to apply for unemployment, which... That is fantastic. I mean, and kudos to your company for doing that, because there's a lot of companies that aren't doing that sort of stuff. Yeah. I mean, my coworker, Diane, she said she's been going into, you know, answer emails because she works for the sales uh, department. And uh, she's like, you know, I'm just working Monday and Tuesdays, but they're still going to stagger the schedules on the manufacturing floor, you know, mm-hmm. and just... She's like, how much do you want to bet those workers are going to bitch and complain about something? I'm like, you know what, Diane? If Mel is smart, he'll say, you know what? You don't like it? There's the door. You know? It is very much that environment right now, too. (laughs) Where it's... It it, it is tough, but, I mean, yeah. It's... It would be... Put it this way. It would be a very bad time to be like, okay, I'm going to walk away from this shit and go start applying for new jobs. It's like, well, it might be a little while before you're able to land something. Yeah, Maybe like, what are you thinking? Like, why are you complaining? You're, you're home. You know, where are you going to go? You know, you're supposed to be sequestered at home. What more do you want? You're getting paid. You know, but everyone has to complain about something. You know. Yeah. Well, I feel really bad for the people that, you know, aren't 
getting paid with this. Because uh, if, if if there's a single adult living alone, that $1,200 check from the government's not going to last for very long. Well, you want to laugh. You know, we were talking about my dog earlier. Um, the, the money that I got, I put towards my emergency fund. Mm-hmm. And I told my brother, Chris, I said, you know, I'm going to pay the the $836 I just paid out for the two <laughs> tests. But I said, I'll pay off the dental procedure, you know, month to month because I got that 18-month uh, uh, interest-free credit card. Uh-huh. You know, I just – so I'll just use that for that. He's like, kid, you know, we still have money from mom's um, quote-unquote estate. So if you need help, give me a shout, you know. So – you know, that's I. I just want to try to pay this off by myself, but we'll see how it goes. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I he's, get. I get that. You know, because I. I don't. He's like, I don't want you to wipe out your whole emergency fund. You know. Yeah, that's always scary. Oh, it's, you know, it's good to have a blanket, but I. Re- I read a stat to where a lot of Americans couldn't absorb something. You know, in a, in a, if something were to drop down on them, that costed over $400 the average American would have trouble absorbing that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's the biggest coup to me having been in credit card debt for the last few years and have it, you know, gratefully my siblings said, you know, we'll wipe out your credit card debt, you know, when mom passed. So, you know, I've been debt free for several months now, and all of a sudden now this, these vet bills are coming in, and I'm just like, foo bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I don't know that that figure bothers the hell out of me though, especially because you get so many people that you know. Well, before the pandemic hit, so many people talking about how the economy was booming. It, didn't, mm-hmm. it really was. Things were really moving along, but right. if you're looking at things on a graph and you're seeing you know, all this growth and stuff going up, but then you're looking at wages for the average American. It's a relatively straight line still. So yeah. it's, it's really quite, it's like, yeah, the, the economy's booming, but the deficit's going up. So the economy booming isn't taking care of the deficit. It's not taking care of the people if wages mm-hmm. aren't going up. And if the average American can't even absorb something over $400, it's not fucking oh. awesome. So <laughs> Yeah, and you know what? If the best thing to come out of this whole pandemic is for people to say, you know what? We weren't prepared for this financially. You know, we lost our jobs, you know, God forbid, you know, and uh, maybe we instead of, you know, buying new electronics every few months on Black Friday, maybe we should just start setting money aside for, you know, life's little emergencies, you know, you know, because look, I'm. I've been shopping while I'm home. I'm not going to lie, but you know, I know when to stop. Thank God, you know? Yeah. So it's certainly a lot easier to limit your own spending and increase your saving or attempt to rather than sway the minds of the, the the 1% that, you know, has the majority of the money and be like, Hey, can you give us a little more of the pie? And they're like, no. Yeah. I have to measure dicks with old (laughs) fucking Henry the fourth at the country club. And his yacht's fucking bigger than mine. His chateau has seven bathrooms. Uh, You know, number 45, what are you going to (laughs) do? Every day, like, I've gotten to the point where I really don't get on Facebook too much. And and if I do, I try and, like, limit myself to, like, you know, either the Leftover Army or, like, the Heroes and Noise page. Places where, like, you know, (laughs) 
where there's like no really politics. not very much political yep. discussion going on. Because you're better off. Oh God, it's you're better off. That's why you know? I always say kudos to James Wetzel for for having these. <sighs> he engages and he goes deep. <laughs> it's like I read through the comments that, and I'm like, dude, I I'd lose my shit. And so every day I resist the urge to just write. <sighs> really think about what's going on in the political climate right now because it's like i don't think that that's the place where you're going to affect change it's just the place where people are going to get emotional yeah and i just you know the, with the whole impeachment hearing and everything like that i was just like really really these are grown grown ass adults and this is how they're acting really nancy pelosi you're gonna withhold that those documents to be petulant Oh, what? Let's go. I would say really to the White House for ignoring congressional subpoenas. If any of the yeah. rest of us were to do that, we'd be in fucking jail. But yeah, the I remember government class fairly well when I was in high school, even though I was a class clown. And I, oh. and I know the I remember the systems of checks and balances. There's not one branch. There's not one of the three branches of government that has a higher say really than the other. And, oh. and the fact that the executive branch was just basically saying fuck you to the congressional branch and then the judicial branch was just kind of like standing like Lady Justice with her fucking eyes closed. It's like, what is going on here? And yeah, I agree that there was a lot of immature shit going on on every side, but it's hard to ignore the fact that, that 45 is extremely unpresidential and he doesn't have a clue what's going on. No, and and when does. people try and prop up the economy as his great accomplishment, it's like it's only making the rich richer right now. I'm sorry. It's it's yes, it's keeping a lot of people employed, but uh, I mean, how are their systems or how is this is their station in life really improving? And the word of the day, two words, is called toxic masculinity, boys and girls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of dick swinging going on for sure. It's like, all right. So let's move away from politics. <laughs> Happily. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> uh, so the last we talked, I was in the in the thick of the drama called As the Stomach Turns. <laughs> okay. <laughs> With, do you remember that? With the, the landlady's boyfriend? And... Okay, yes, 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 yes. Okay. <laughs> now I'm with you. We have since moved on from that, happily to say. You know, she broke up with him. Thank God. <laughs> nice. It took him a few weeks to learn that lesson. Thank God. And he, I had a laugh joke because when she broke up with him, it was around the summertime. And he started to leave, like, gifts on the front steps, like raisinets and chocolates. I'm like, well, good luck with that because they're going to be melted chocolate in a few hours. <laughs> like, who leaves a box of raisinets? <laughs> I had a dollar twenty five in my pocket and I was thinking of you. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. So yeah, I went from one shit storm to another where, you know, my mom got sick with the um <sighs> with the her diabetes. She wasn't she wasn't taking care of herself. That that's what it comes down to. And she had to get the top portion of her big toe amputated. Wow. Um yeah, it was going gangrene, but God bless mom, because the, Pam, my sister, and I were in the nursing home with her um, while she was recuperating, and the doctor comes in, and he's like, you know, Ms. Bacala, I just want to let you know that um, 
you know, we saw something on the x-rays. We think there's a spot on your lung and we would like to get that biopsy. She's like, I'm only focusing on my foot right now. And Pam and I look at each other and then we look at mom. We're like, not really. You're here, aren't you? Exactly. It's like, uh. We're just like, really? So she's like, girls, look, I survived lung cancer once. I cannot go through that shit again. I'm like, gotcha. Because she did. She had a a pancake portion size of her lung removed when I was in high school. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And she said it wasn't the operation that was hard. It was the recovery period and the chemotherapy. That's what I've heard. I've, I've heard that that can really, really wipe you out. And she's like, I'm 80. What the fuck do you want from me, ladies? <laughs> I'm like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> you know, so uh, God bless her. So that was in September of 2018. Fast forward to uh, January, February of 2019. And she wasn't feeling good. And we thought that it was pneumonia. Like, because she'd been sick for months with C. diff. And oh my God, Joe, if there's anything to deter me from a hospital stay, it's C. diff. What is C. diff? It's a bacterial infection that makes you shit constantly. Oh, that doesn't sound fun. No, 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 no. And my mom is like, she was like Julie Andrews to me. She was very prim and proper. You know, that's how she carried herself. Mm-hmm. I mean, she could curse like a truck driver, <laughs> but <laughs> she was very prim and proper. And that's, you know, so, uh, you know, she was in the hospital and I'm on the phone with her and she's like, no, I don't want you to come visit me. I feel disgusting. She's like, Bridget, the C. diff is back. And I knew how much she hated that. I was like, mommy, I'm so sorry. I'm going to put you in my prayer. She's like, isn't there like a spell you can do to banish C. diff? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, um, I'll see what I can do. I'll, I'll look in my potions book. How's that mom? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, oh, she, it turned out that she was having, um, that, that she had lung cancer that oh, the lung. No. Ca- yeah. Back. Yeah. It came back in a big way. And when she was diagnosed with it, it started to spread to other places. And that's her, how her mom went is, the, she had stomach cancer and it spread out all over, you know. Oh, no. Yeah, it was awful. And what was hard for me, Joe, was that this was my one and only parent growing up. Yeah. So, so to see her in that ICU and mom wasn't, you know, heavy to begin with. I mean, she was a lightweight, you know, she was like maybe 100 pounds soaking wet. Uh-huh. <laughs> So I'm just like, oh, God, to see her, you know, but she had a stroke in early March and then she was moved to the nursing home. And the funniest part about this, well, not funny, it was, it's tragically funny, is that the stroke robbed her of um, speech. So (laughs) mom was never the best patient. So she would like be like pushing you away with her hands. And I'm like, what are you doing, Ma? What are you doing? Yeah. 
So fast forward, this is really funny. My sister's like, Bridget, I'm just calling to let you know that I can no longer go to the nursing home to see mom because I nearly killed her when I visited her today. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) And I'm like, Pammy, what happened? And she's like, she was so nasty. You would think that her being robbed of speech, she wouldn't be able to be nasty. But man, the look she would give me, it was, she had Kimmy beat because my niece had this way of telling you off, like, fuck you with her eyes. (laughs) Yeah, that's a skill for sure. (laughs) Holy shit. I was like, listen, you little bitch, I'll like, you know, knock you into next week with that attitude. (laughs) Quick tangent on that. Do you want to hear one of the dumbest things I ever heard in my life and I still think about to this day? What's that? Long time ago, I was talking with this FedEx driver and Uh I was telling her some story about one of my kids who was like really little, like two or three at the time and just being an asshole. And Mm -hmm. she looks at me and she goes, well, a a two-year-old can't be an asshole. (laughs) And I looked at her like, I almost had like Forrest Whitaker eye and I'm like... (laughs) Do you do you have any kids? And she's like, well, no. She's like, but that, that'd be like saying like a little girl's being a little bitch. And I'm like, wow. I'm like, you really don't have kids or not around any kids at all. I'm like, little kids, like they can be the biggest little assholes and bitches. Are you kidding? And when it's like a tiny person that like, you know, you love more than anything, it puts you in a tough spot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but you I'm know, still like, what a dumb comment. Like, a little boy can't be an asshole. Well, it's like, you know, when you're really young and then when you're really old, there's no tack filter. No. You know, kids will just <laughs> say shit, you know? <laughs> they are. They are. They're little fucking beacons of truth and it can be very uncomfortable at times. It's like sometimes I'm like... I think kids have, you know, like Tourette syndrome until they have the tack filter, you know? It's like, well, it's really just until they, you know, they're around enough people that they realize, oh, yeah. this isn't really accepted in society to, to be this way. And, and that's where, like, you know, you get people that, that have those sorts of, you know, people that will be on the spectrum with, like, Asperger's and autism and stuff where they don't really understand those social cues. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and so it's like, it it is kind of an odd thing. I I wonder if it's just part of the human condition of just wanting to belong. And so you kind of, you know, go one way or another with society. Right, right. That's always a possibility. But, you know, it's just, sometimes kids can be little assholes, you know, they can. They They don't have have that shut up monkey, you know. Absolutely on purpose. It's like, or sometimes they'll say something and they'll get laughter as a reaction, so they do it more. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like if a kid says "fuck" by accident, you know, because they've heard it around, you know, and people like look at them and laugh, they think it's okay. <laughs> you know, what do you what do you want the kid to do? You know. Uh, well, since I'm home so much during the day now, I'll be listening to the boys playing Super Smash Brothers on the Switch in the other room, and I'll hear the 12 year old be like, "And that's how it goes, bitches." And I'm like, "Dude," and he's like, "Sorry." <laughs> because the thing, that, the thing that me and Lindsay always tell the kids is, that it's like, look, they're just they're just words, but right. society as a whole says that these words are quote unquote naughty. So if you use them. <laughs> If you if you use them to the point where it's just part of your 
you know, your vernacular. It just comes out. I said, you're probably going to say it in school and they're not going to share the same cool hippie opinion that mom and dad do. They're going to like right. be really upset about it. And how do you feel about getting in trouble at school? It makes you really upset and it makes, you know, makes you sad. So just don't use it to the point where you accidentally say it in school. But if you use it around me, I don't give a fuck child. <laughs> nice joke. It's like, cause I don't, it's like, I think it's fucking silly. People are like, ah, well, if you swear you're crass and, 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 you know, good, smart people don't swear. It's like, fuck you. I know a lot about a lot. And I will say the F word a lot. I don't care. <laughs> you know, I, I, of course I hold myself back at work and stuff. Oh yeah. I will say the majority of the time. <laughs> My coworkers well, that I'm most familiar with know me the best. If you want to be customer service, Joe, if you want to be really progressive, Joe, you just turn on Amazon prime, search George Carlin live at Carnegie. Oh yeah. I grew up watching Carlin (laughs) (laughs) and and let them listen to, you know, the dirty words you're not supposed to say. (laughs) Wow. How dated is that now too? Well, some of them have held on some of them, not so much. Yeah. I was watching that the other day when I was, you know, home because I was bored out of my mind and I found this whole collection of George Carlin. I'm like, yes, <laughs> you know, so live at Carnegie is my favorite because he does that whole bit on food that, you know, just doesn't sound right. <laughs> <laughs> like guacamole. He's like, sounds like he's something, wears something at a dance, you know, can I borrow your green guacamole? <laughs> 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 Yeah, Carlin is pretty funny. Oh God, things he to see with. to hear his take on on what's going on today. Oh God, he would be livid, you know. <laughs> well, because if you watch his later stuff, um, he has less and less patience with the politics. Oh yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's like well, a lot of his later stuff is is more of what I watched because it was like because there was a while there where it's like every year there was like a new special coming out on HBO. Yeah, yeah, I I miss that man. I mean, that was the first celebrity death that really hit me hard. Yeah. Like, I really loved um, George Carlin, and my mom for one Christmas got me that book of his called When. Uh, when will Jesus bring the pork chops or something like that? <laughs> I got one of his books one time and I was all excited until I started reading it. And I was like, this mm-hmm. is just his standup. This is yeah. literally his act just written down on paper. Like, yep. This isn't what I wanted. I wanted, it's like, I already, this is, I've already heard all this. <laughs> and so I Damn didn't it. even read the whole thing. I did, just, all right, back on the bookshelf. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what were we talking about? I forgot. Oh, yeah, It mom. doesn't matter. It's Starkcast. Oh, there you go. Yes, your mom. <laughs> so my sister's like, she was acting really weird. I'm like, as opposed to what? <laughs> She's like, no, but she was like grabbing my notebook and she was trying to like suck on the paper. I'm like, are they not feeding her in the nursing home or what? You know, what's going on? You know, That's so. She said, but then she's like, I, you know, started to pack up, start to go you know, to leave. And she's like, she looks at me and Bridget, it was looking at like looking at a superimposed photograph, like a, a double exposure because I saw auntie's eyes in mommy's face. And I'm like, well, that's fucking creepy. She's like, I'm like, you know what? Auntie was letting you know that 
I've got her. It's okay. You can go. I'm going to, I'm going to bring her back. And two days later, I get a phone call, Joe, from Pammy saying, now it's for me, it's not only the spring equinox, it's also a full moon in Pisces. So mom passed away on the spring equinox and a full moon in Pisces, which was like, holy shit, mom, you couldn't have planned that better because when Pammy called to let me know that mom wasn't doing too good, that she didn't come out of her room and she was curled up on her bed. She wasn't taking any food or any fluids. She's like, Bridget, hopefully she'll go. She'll cross over. And I'm like, hopefully, yeah. Because we both agreed that if mom had gone from the stroke, that would have been so much easier because she wouldn't have been so frustrated and so aggravated. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, because mom always prided herself on her speech. So to see her nonverbal and not being able to communicate was heartbreaking. So I'm on the phone with my um, friend Angelo from California, and he's like, honey, listen to me. He's like, you speak the language. He's like, when your mom's ready to go, it's like, a window opens up and all your loved ones that have gone crossed over before surround you. Chances are she's already gone. She just hasn't let go yet. So I'm like, gotcha. And as I'm on the phone with him, my sister's calling in and I had to hang up with him and she's like, Bridget, mommy crossed over. And I'm like, thank God. Thank God. Cause it was a relief. Yeah. Well, you yeah, don't, I mean, you know, if, when you reach that point in your life and, oh. you know, the, the quality of life is completely gone, mm-hmm. then, yeah, I, I get what you mean. I now, mean, now, what is the significance of the, the, you know, the spring equinox and the full moon in Pisces? Because the spring equinox signifies, you know, um, like rebirth and renewal. Yes, Exactly. Exactly. Spring is the season of renewal, new beginnings, that kind of things. And the full moon in Pisces is just, it's, um, hold on, let me get my, I need my, oh, my witch's almanac here. <laughs> I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I, I just found that. I, no, I, it's I okay. I've never heard that before. It's uh focus on dreaming, nostalgia, intuition, and psychic impressions. A good time for spiritual and philanthropic activities i can't think of any anything more spiritual than crossing over to the other side wow you know and i'm like oh thank god thank god and you know i miss her of course i miss her but she's always around me i always feel her around me in fact i was joking with chris my brother about the whole vet thing and i said you know mom would be having a cow right now with this money situation. And he's like, kid, I'll tell you what I told her about the last situation. The dog is her pet, her companion. What do you want to do? Put the dog down for, because he has crystals. Are you out of your mind, mom? (laughs) He's like, the kid is doing the best she can. Will you leave her alone? (laughs) He said, so when she came over to me and told me that you told her that you had $5,000 in on your Discover card, I was like, yeah, she lives in New York, mom. <laughs> it's the cost of living, okay? <laughs> oh, I can't imagine. Like, wow. 
<laughs> when, I, when I hear about how much like a rent and stuff like that costs in New York, it blows my fucking mind. Well, you know, it's just <laughs> I was talking to an army member. I'm like, you know, it wouldn't be so bad if you know the cost of living wasn't what it what it is here in New York. But when you have thousands upon thousands applying for Section Eight assistance. Just for housing. That should tell you something. Like, hmm, maybe the cost of living, you know, we should give people raises, you know, so they can afford it, you know. Well, that but goes no. back to getting the one percenters that, you know, net billions of dollars a year or have salaries <laughs> with millions of dollars a year. It's like, why are you making that much? But then mm -hmm. the 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 poor, like, janitorial staff or even, like, your clerical staff or the people that – that like make your 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 money making business work on an operating mm -hmm. on a daily basis. It's like why are you literally paying them as small as you can to greed. get by? It is. It's just all fucking greed. And it's like it's and, and I'm not like saying fucking let's go socialist or anything like that. But I no. think that I think that unregulated unregulated capitalism just ends in Oh yeah, it, it kind of ends in in what we're seeing right now. It's going to end in a total oligarchy, and so it's like you have to have some sort of regulation on capitalism because otherwise it only exists to further itself, which is exactly. just keep making more money. Let's just keep consolidating the base, and it's like, well, now you got just a small, relatively small amount of people hoarding so much wealth and just doling out the tiniest amount to everybody else, and seemingly instigating fights between other groups of poor people. It's like one group of poor people blaming another group of poor people for them being poor while the super rich overlords sit back in their fucking giant yachts and shit. It's like, come on. It's, it's the shit is a little bit fucked up right now. If you can't admit that, if you're just one of the people who say, Oh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like some people don't have fucking bootstraps. How about I take this boot and shove it up your ass? How about that? <laughs> it's, I, I don't know. Cause I just feel like as people, we have the ability to create a really fucking kick-ass society that works really well for everybody, but we don't yeah. because people get corrupted by the worst parts of human nature, greed and jealousy and hatred. Not only that, Joe, but, you know, if you notice, we can't even have, like, a civil debate or discussion without people resorting to playground name-calling tactics. Well, especially if it's on social media because there's that yeah. level of keyboard comfort and anonymity. Yeah, I think, internet I think generally when people have face-to-face -face conversations, at least with with people that they know. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's probably a little bit easier to be a total asshole to a stranger right out of the gate. Oh yeah. But, oh, yeah. Um, but I, I feel like if, if more people had these discussions face to face, maybe something would go forward. Maybe not. And also this thing I'm talking about, you know, oh, humans have the capability to make it all good. It's like that shit gets tried and failed a lot. And it usually ends with some charismatic cult leader trying to fuck everybody's wives. <laughs> so it's like fuck it's like dude you're just as creepy you're like you're like a male feminist just like pretending to care so you can get out there and fuck and that's just as gross you know i watched that um that documentary about the whole david koresh thing and i'm like so you're telling me that none of these grown men are noticing that their daughters their young daughters are being seduced by this megalomaniac. That doesn't seem wrong to you? Well, that's how cults work. <laughs> I know. They, they I rationalize know, but everything. Like, he's the supreme leader. 
Of course he should be blasting loads in my fucking family. I am like... It's like, what the fuck? If there really is a savior out there, he... One of the prerequisites of being a savior is you don't want to go around coming in people. Okay? Yeah. Like, like you're saving people to save people, not because low-key you want to have sex. It's like, come on, dude. That's that's where... That's where... That should be the point where anybody drops out of a cult. As soon as the guy's like, all right, now we're going to. You would <laughs> think, right? Send all the women folk my way. And it's like, okay, okay, Dave's lost it. <laughs> yeah, how about the no. chosen one anymore, people? He just wants to fuck. <laughs> I think I saw him wearing socks with sandals the other day. He's definitely not cool. Hey, hey, Dave, let me introduce you to Pornhub, okay? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Pornhub is the devil. <laughs> oh my god. Wrap that I'll devil nev- around your meat and jack off. You clearly need to come, dude. <laughs> I remember I, I was dating this guy who was into Amway, right? Is that so, like the, the sales stuff? Yeah, the the basically the pyramid scheme. You I know hate that shit. I'm it's just like, I like you were my friend, but apparently now you're a salesman. Get the fuck away from me. Exactly. I'm, and I'm looking at my friend. Now, my boyfriend, he had the personality to be a salesman. You know, he did have that. What he didn't have was class. <laughs> okay. And I'm looking at him like, That's funny. yeah, this is not going to work for you, hon. Um, no, this is not going to work. <laughs> I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm out. Bye. <laughs> I was just like, but it's really good if we can go on these vacations. I'm like, yeah. If you work 24-7 selling this shit, yeah. <laughs> well, and then the real trick is to get other people selling for you. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm like, it's like no, how do you not no. see the parent scheme going on here? Come on. <laughs> don't want to be involved. Just go get a regular job. Don't involve me in your weird shit. Oh, my God. I I was just like, really, dude? This is what you want to do with your life? <laughs> I remember a long time ago, I was looking for a job. I think this was maybe while I was – I think this was – I had finished school, and it was after the dot-com bubble burst, and so I was having trouble trying to find, like, entry-level graphic design work at the time. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so mm-hmm. I just responded to this ad in the paper that said, obnoxious people wanted – <laughs> oh, this will be funny. Let's see what this is. And they're like, just come down and talk to us. We're in Iowa City. And so I'm like, fuck, all right. And so I dressed all nice, went down. Like, there's about a half dozen other people in there. It turns out it was to sell Kirby vacuums door to door. As soon as he brought out the vacuum, I almost got up and left. <laughs> and it was like that society, you know, like go with the flow shit that we were talking about earlier. I was like, that'd just be rude. I should sit here and listen to the presentation, watching this guy use it to unscrew a, va- a light bulb on the ceiling and stuff. I'm like, I am not. No. no Did I they can't. at least have refreshments while you sat through this bullshit? <laughs> no. No. And I drove an hour to go oh, fucking do Oh, come on. And I wore khakis and a tie. <laughs> Do you realize, like, I've never felt dumber in my life driving back from Iowa City. And I did a lot of drugs in Iowa City in my early 20s. <laughs> and this didn't even compare to that. Exactly. This guy sucked out more of my brain cells than LSD. <laughs> oh, my God. That's too freaking funny. Oh, jeez. What's funny is, like, I haven't thought of that in years, and it just popped into my mind. I'm like, oh, God, I remember doing that. 
<laughs> well, you want to hear something really funny? When I when I first got you know started to stay home from work from this pandemic, I was like, oh, this is great. You know, I'll get the spring cleaning done that I always wanted to do, and I'll get some writing done, and I can season my new tarot deck, and I'll get some inner child work done. This is great. Do you think I got any of that fucking shit done? <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is that I kept seeing all the posts on Twitter from people mm-hmm. about, you know, oh, now it's, you know, this is happening. It's time to get writing and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and it's like that motivated me. And so, like, I've oh, been good. a serious writer brain for like the last two or three weeks and I've gotten so much done. That's fantastic, Joe, because my muse is like, Mm-mm, fuck you, bitch. <laughs> no, my muse is like operating full time right now. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's I'm so like, cool. Dude, really? <laughs> so I've been, I have gotten my tarot decks somewhat seasoned. I've gotten the major arcana cards, which is the, um, the hermit, the emperor, the empress, blah, blah, blah. Now I'm on to the, I did the, the cups and the swords. Now I'm on to the wands. So what exactly is involved in, in what you're doing? The seasoning deck is the idea of making basically a psychic imprint on each card where you study and memorize the picture on the card and then you like put it to your third eye like on your forehead and you metaphorically step into the card and you know dialogue if there's a person or persons in the card and then you merge with the character you merge phys- you know physically to step into their shoes so to speak so that when you step out of it, you have a sense of what that card means to you. So that, you know, when you're doing tarot readings, um, sometimes, you know, I'll, like when we were doing Enchanted Evening at the Broom, and I would be reading uh, several people one at a time, I would keep on getting this card, you know, maybe in a different spot in the spread, but I would get, keep on getting the same goddamn card. I'm like, Oh, that's for me. Not for my client. And I'm just like, motherfucker. Really? <laughs> the night of cups romance. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> so back into the deck. <laughs> But it, it's just a way to make a psychic imprint. And then you just like you hold it to where like maybe your heart chakra or your solar plexus, your third chakra, and you breathe like deeply like three times. And it's supposed to, you know, resonate with that chakra whenever you're reading. It's just a way to get acquainted with the deck. And uh, I had a laugh because. The reason why I had to get this new deck is because I lost two of the cards in the old deck. So I'm like, fuck, you know, I can't read the deck without those two cards. They're essential. I wouldn't care if it was the Page of Cups or the Page of Swords because I usually chuck the page cards because they're fucking useless to me. I hate the fucking pages. Um, so I, What are those? They're just messenger cards, like message of, you know, new birth coming into your life or new romance coming into your life. I'm like, yeah, fuck you. Chuck the page cards all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like supposed to be in your deck, but you don't have them in your deck? Yeah, I, I hate the page cards. I, I'm like, fuck you, pages. <laughs> so, you know, I'll just like, so I, when I season the cards, it, there's 78 cards in the tarot deck. 
that's a lot of cards. That is a lot of cards. Yeah. So if I did like the major arcana, I did. I was able to get done it in one week because I would do at least like there were twenty one cards, so I would do three cards a night, get them done, write down my impressions, and I was fine. It's the suit cards, like the swords. I fucking hate the sword cards because the swords represent mental thought, um, clarity. They represent the air sign cards, like Aquarians, um, Sagittarius. I think that's – no, I think that's a fire sign. Um, Aquarians, Libra, and there's one other sign. You can see how much I hate the air signs because my landlady slash former best friend is an Aquarius. I have a real problem with Aquarians because I'm just like, really? They're they're all kinds of mental. They overthink things. Like the biggest frustration with her was it would take forever for her to decide what to eat when we would go to a restaurant and look at a menu because there's way too many choices for her. And she would usually end up picking a burger. Can't go wrong with a burger. No, and I'm like, I thought you were going to try something new. Yeah, I can't decide. (laughs) (laughs) There's an aquarium for you. So I'm like, all right. It's usually they're always, like Libras, they're always trying to find that balance. And that balance, once you get it, yeah, they can never, um, that never lasts for long. You know, they're good people. Don't get me wrong. It's just Aquarians, motherfuckers. They think, <laughs> wow, <laughs> a little subset of birthday range there that you're like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love all people. It's just fucking Aquarius. And here's the thing with, you know, the natal charts, like, it's just like, yeah, you might be the sun sign of Libra, but you also have the moon sign and you also have the rising sign. So like, for example, my sun sign is Cancer. My moon sign is Aries, and my rising sign is fucking Leo. That's two fires in a water. What the fuck? That makes no sense. (laughs) (sighs) The only way I can relate to that is in Magic the Gathering, those are my two favorites. (laughs) You give me a red-blue deck, and I'm a happy guy. (laughs) Well, usually, like, your rising sign, your... um. Your moon sign, that's the personality that, that most people see is your is your sun and your moon sign. Your rising sign is usually when you're like angry or something like that. It, that's when that rising sign can come out. You know, the that personality trait, trait can come out to play, you know. So whenever my, my friend Mark would do the uh, astrological spread when he was teaching the tower workshop, I'm like, all right. I'm out. I'm gonna go for a bath and break while you guys do this astrological spread. <laughs> He's like, "Oh yeah, Bridget hates the astrological spread. She cannot do it. <laughs> it's just too many houses for her. <laughs> fucking twelve fucking houses. I give astrologists a lot of credit because between the different nodes, the different houses, the different aspects, it's a whole different fucking language for me." And I can't fucking do it. <laughs> yeah. It gives me a headache. It's like algebra. It's like <laughs> when you start mixing letters with numbers, I'm out. See ya. 
And to this day, Joe, I have never used algebra in my daily adult life. So <laughs> fuck you, ninth grade. <laughs> So there's a there's a psychic in Cedar Rapids that she's had this shop in the the same spot ever since I was a little kid, mm-hmm. and um, she has a big banner up now saying "Now doing phone readings." <laughs> yeah, so like, look at her going all baller and digital. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm in Mark. My friend Mark has been trying to get me to do Facebook readings, and I'm like, well, I don't know the fucking equipment that I need, you know. I only have my iPad. He's like, well, you need a camera. You need this. I'm like, yeah, I don't have the funds for that. And I really, because between mom getting sick, the drama going on, um, like 2018, 2019 was a whole clusterfuck for my life because I left the broom. I left the coven because it was divisive. It was um, the energy in that space was really bad and toxic, yeah. and it was it was time to leave. I'm sorry. I mean, Mark had like stepped down as high priest. Uh, Amy was like she was basically paying the the silver broom rent out of her own pocketbook, which is never healthy. Yeah, that's not you know she wouldn't communicate that she needed help. You know, it's just like, really? <laughs> so um, I left. And that also meant leaving the ministry training program, which broke my heart um, because I really wanted to be a spiritual counselor. But after speaking with Mark, he's like, let me see if I can dig out the curriculum for you. And, you know, we'll we'll see what we can do for you because I know that, you know. I know that you really wanted to do that and we'll, we'll see what we can work out. So hopefully, yeah. Yeah. Because I told him, I said, you know, all the programs that I look for online, you have to have a psychology degree, you know, to be kind of be a spiritual counselor. And I don't want to do, you know, marry people. I don't want to be a minister. I want to be a spiritual counselor. And there's a big difference between the two, you know, he's like, well, you are a natural born counsel, Bridget. I'm going to tell you right th- that right now. He said, but you know, I got to figure find something that I can do. He's like, the only caveat to that is because the ministry program was so tied into the coven. Like you had to become a first degree, witch in the coven to get into the ministry training program. And he said, but being that the way things were severed, um, I may not have to honor that agreement. So we'll see what we can do. Yeah, so, nice. yeah. So fingers crossed. Cause I said, my biggest issue with the whole ministry program is the first six lessons are which class cycle one Oh one all over again. It's, you know, the universal laws, the hermetic laws. I'm like, I already know all this shit. I said, so I just wanted to get to, you know, learning the, your archetypes, finding out your archetypes, you know, the spiritual counseling, you know, they used a lot of the Carol and Mace teachings in the, in that ministry training program. And that's what I really wanted to sink my teeth into. So we'll see how that goes from there. So, you know, thank God for Mark, cause he kept my sanity at that, at mom's memorial service. I was, I <laughs> I was fine until I saw the memorial with mom's picture and you know how they do the with the music and the collage and everything like that, the slideshow. Waterworks. I was a effing mess. I had to go into the bathroom. 
So Mark is like, he found me. He's like, come here, come here, come here. So while they're doing the whole sermon, he's like, just, you know, just lean on my shoulder, bury your face in my shoulder, and it'll get like I'm consoling you because I had the church giggles. <laughs> oh, when at you're the... like laughing at something that you shouldn't be laughing at? Exactly. I lost it. He's like, it's okay, Bridget. It's okay. Because the minister is talking about, you know, being there for each other and this very hippy dippy kind of service. And then we all had to raise our like right hands and you hold it up to the Lord and basically do like a Care Bear stare with our hands. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I'm just There's like, some stuff they do in church where it's like, you know. I'll take this a little more seriously if you didn't try and make it so woo. <laughs> well, I had a lip because I'm like, I never liked when we had to shake hands with our neighbor. Like when I would go to church with my mom and, you know, peace be with you, that kind of thing. I'm like, I've been watching this man in front of me pick his nose for the, for the last 10 minutes. I don't want to shake his fucking hand. <laughs> and say, peace be with you, my ass. No. I remember the first no. time I went to like a, a Catholic mass with, with mm -hmm. my wife. This was just when we were dating. Mm -hmm. It might have been for a brother's confirmation or something. And uh and they, the whole peace be with you thing. I didn't know you were supposed to say and also with you. And so I'm just like shaking hands like hi, hi, hi. Carter Prescott, damn glad to meet you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> <laughs> what's up man what's up <laughs> so yeah that was that was something but th there was time. lots of that weird because then eventually i ended up going through the rcia to then you know switch over to being catholic or whatever i did i went to uh. sunday school a little bit when i was a kid in a methodist church but i was never baptized or anything like that oh okay and so okay. And so I went through the whole thing and then was baptized Catholic and stuff. And so I like made the inquiry about it and it was like right after Easter and they were like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, we do baptisms, you know, on the Easter vigil. So mm -hmm. I'm like, oh gosh, I'm going to have to go to a Catholic mass every Sunday because it was <laughs> like right before they would do the Eucharist, they would have all the RCIA candidates come up and then they would give you this like really fancy giant shiny version of the new testament and then oh. one person would like hold it up above their head and then you'd mm -hmm. all walk out in a procession and then everybody would be like doing the hands thing at you and i was oh. that, that was really bizarre <laughs> you know i never understood like i guess the sixth place in the south where you're baptized but you're in a lake and they like dunk you in the water yeah <laughs> that's that's some real shit right there and i'm like Huh. <laughs> you might come out with leeches on here or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> that's real. Hmm, that's I, I just did it in like a, a baptismal font at the at the church. It was it was really, really cool. And like it was it was an interesting thing to go through that whole experience because like I had never like I'd always, you know, like kind of believed in God or whatnot, but like I never really put all that much thought into it. But yeah. then after going through and doing all that and like, you know, I you know, even like throwing myself into it enough where I'd pray the rosary and everything. And then when it got to the point that uh, we kind of stopped going and it wasn't a regular part of my life anymore, I was like, you know what? I really don't miss it enough to want to go back and do it. And the more <laughs> I think about it, there's a lot of things I don't agree with. And so finally I just accepted the fact that, that I am a, uh, 
there's a certain word for it, and I always forget what it is. You're spiritual. You're spiritual, but you're not religious. Yeah, exactly. It's like I I agree with the the tenets in the Bible. In the mm-hmm. a lot of religions share with each other, and you just hey, tr- just treat other people the way you want to be treated. Be, right. Just be kind. Be a good person. It's like all right, yeah, I can I can get down with that. But then when you get people that are way too hell bent on some of the rules, and then an un entirely ignore other ones it's like nah you're just you're only using this you know ancient sacred text as a tool of control and i can't exactly i don't like that that's my problem at all and so that's my big problem with religion but people who are like you know that can use their religion as like a source of inner strength and stuff like that i don't begrudge them that and so i don't agree with the people that are i don't agree with the asshole atheists Though sometimes, right. like, just because I have a dark sense of humor, I'll be, you know, God, that cunt that kills babies and gives them cancer, fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> but then people get really upset sometimes. Yeah, you can't there's, there's a part of me that's pleased when that happens. <laughs> you know, <laughs> even though then there's fun- another part of me that's like, you should feel bad. You made the, look at how red you made their cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was fun to watch them get purple in the face. <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny you say that because yesterday I was watching uh, Bill Burr's I'm Sorry You Feel That Way. Oh, that's one of my favorites. <laughs> and I was dying because he's like, you know, what the hell? Because they got the all... What he's doing the backyard bit with his son? No, no, not that one. Not that one. It was the one that he's talking about, you know, that football player that, that kissed his partner when he was drafted or something like that. <laughs> yeah. He's like, what's the big deal? You know, you're all watching the draft like it's some kind of like graduation ceremony like, shit. That's what you get you for just... watching the draft. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, come on, people. <laughs> <laughs> I've watched my brother-in-law watch the draft so many times, and it's been so much better since I've heard that bit so many times. <laughs> they're going to print it all in the paper tomorrow. He's going to sit here for eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> and the bit he said about the Vatican, he's like, they're flicking off, you know, pedophile charges like ticks off their backs. <laughs> like, fuck you. Yeah. about God in that one is like, there's a lot of truth to that, though. Where he's like doing the conversation, playing catch with his son in the backyard. Yeah. Like, oh, we're not going to church today. That's a bunch of bullshit. God's everywhere, but I got to go down there to see him and he's mad at me and I owe him money. <laughs> go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> classic Bill Burry. So funny. <laughs> that made me laugh. So I was like, that's so freaking true. It's just like, come but on. He's mad people. at me and I owe him money. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> Look, there's nothing wrong with like, even like, because I forget who asked me recently, like, what do you think makes you a witch? And it's just, it's just the way I feel. I think to me, being a witch, forget about the spells and stuff. To me, being a witch is all about taking it into yourself because um, we have a, a folk song by a, um, a group called Moving Breath. And it's like, Earth My Body, uh, what does it go? I forget how it goes. Earth My Body. Of course, now I forget it. What is it? Oh, shit. Now I have to look this shit up. Are now you I'm really trying to think what earth my body would mean if earth were a verb? <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> earth... Okay. You... 
thank you. Lyrics, please. Thank you. But is it more like Earth, comma, my body? Your your Earth is physical matter, so that's your body. Water is your blood. Air is your breath. Fire is your spirit. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm with so you. good. <laughs> Because if I had to explain that one, okay, earth my body, water my blood, air my breath, and fire my spirit. And it's just, it's a chant. And it always got me thinking because to me, I never resonated with Catholic religion because of the whole patriarchal aspect. Because as it, you know, that really bothered me. But I love the sculptures and the statues of the Mother Mary. It was always so beautiful to me, and I always loved the rose-scented incense, you know. I So I loved the, the tools of the trade. I just didn't like the fucking message. Like, fuck you. <laughs> like, you're going to say God is love in one, in one breath, and then the next breath you're going to tell me that, you know, I'll be damned and go to hell, you know, if I'm a bad person. Um, yeah, that doesn't connect with me. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a little bit too much picking and choosing like eh, Old Testament, New Testament. Yeah. Cause my mom's like, well, haven't you like read the Bible? I'm like, no mom. I, 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 I like the water into wine bit. That's real good. She's <laughs> just like, God damn it. Wow. The, the parish that I went to, since I went there for a year, I ended mm-hmm. up hearing about pretty much the whole Bible. Is because mm-hmm. the way they explained it is they said, oh, yeah, they do readings as such so that, you know, it, it jumps around a lot, but it pretty much covers – at least covers everything in the New Testament. For sure they didn't cover everything in the Old Testament because there is some whack-ass shit in there. Like, right. Like, well, hell if you wear, like, linen and polyester Well, my friend, <laughs> in the Old my Testament. Friend, you know? My friend Star will tell you that the Bible is the best soap opera ever. This one sleeping with this one. This one begets this one. I'm like, so what you're telling me is it's like a Greek tragedy. That's what you're telling me. And just like, yeah, basically. Yeah, <laughs> just a bunch of old stories. And you know what's weird is that like, I, I guess it was an oral tradition for a really long time. So it's really hard to pin down like an actual date on mm-hmm. this stuff. But I was just reading a, I was just reading a really interesting article this morning. About one of my favorites, uh, one of my favorite mind-bending topics is like really ancient man-made structures that mm-hmm. that do not fit into the current scientific narrative. And mm-hmm. so my favorite site is a place in Turkey called Gobekli Tepe. Mm-hmm. Okay. 10 to 12,000 years old. Wow. And so basically it's like from around the time where, you know, <laughs> modern day science says, okay, this is when humans were just starting to discover agriculture. There was no written language yet. There was no math. There was none of this shit. And somehow they built these giant megalithic structures that feature stone centerpieces that are over 20 feet tall that are intricately carved with animals that are not native to that region. Um, this is supposedly at a time where there was no stone tools. Or anything like that. Basically, people were just going from being hunter-gatherers to an agrarian lifestyle. But somehow this happened. And the article I was reading was they discovered that uh, three of the oldest 
uh, structures on the site were actually likely all built at the same time and they form a geometric pattern. And so like, not only did they understand math, but they had such a high understanding of geometry that they were able to do this like really high level shit with their architecture. And so it's, oh. it totally does not fit the scientific narrative and it's potentially older than the Old Testament. Wow. And so huh. th that sort of shit is fascinating to me because... Yeah, that's I, food for thought. Extremely. And when you consider how many, you know, how many of our cities today, major cities are really close to a coastline. Quite, mm -hmm. a, quite a few. It's really handy to be able to move, you know, things around by boat and stuff like that. Well, then yeah. if you think about what the planet was like 10,000 years ago, a lot of North America was under two miles of ice. And so that tied up a lot of the water. And so the coastlines... Mm -hmm. The oceans were a lot lower, and so it's very potential that all these big ancient cities, this this like unrecorded history, like this chapter of mankind, is you know underwater in the ocean. Yeah, and I mean, I find all that this. shit super fascinating. Oh yeah, I, see, you sound like yeah. I like to. I found a a bunch of conspiracy theory shows on like Amazon Prime and Netflix, you know, and I love to watch that shit. And um, but I'm just not into the whole UFO thing. No, okay, like that. I'd always watch Ancient Aliens just because it would cover some of that stuff, and then I'd just have to turn my brain off as soon as the narrator goes ancient alien theorists speculate and it's like okay this is where the crazy this is this is when Giorgio Tsoukalos is gonna fucking start being real crazy <laughs> like I'll watch like haunted hospitals that will freak me out don't ask you yeah I love that kind of shit but they were talking about um the whole area 50, 51 thing and the, and the crash at Roswell and I'm just like look I'm not arrogant to think that we're the only living beings in the galaxy. I'm not. But I will also say in the next breath that I have enough trouble with other humans. Don't make me ponder aliens, okay? <laughs> well, did you see the Pentagon just confirm that UFOs exist? Yeah, I, I mean, saw nobody's that. Nobody's saying it's aliens, but it's have, – have you, did you watch the footage that they released? Yeah, I did. So, I like, did. I, I remember seeing that a really long time ago. And uh, not that long ago, Joe Rogan had the pilot that was, like, out there with them. His name was mm -hmm. Commander David Frere, mm -hmm. if, I'm, if I'm remembering that name correctly. But uh, so he actually had a firsthand account. Like, he saw these things with his eyes. And he was talking mm -hmm. about how there was no no exhaust coming off of it. It was hovering above the ocean and there was no like, you know, like rotor spray coming off where like, cause you know, like a, like a, a jet, like a, like a Harry or something like that that can turn its engines down can hover. And like, mm -hmm. obviously a helicopter can hover, but it's going to be putting enough force down to where it's going to be affecting the surface of the water. And he said that this oh. thing was just hovering above the surface of the water, but it looked like the water was boiling underneath it. Wow. And then the thing took off so fast that their scopes couldn't even hardly record it. Like, basically, way faster than anything else we have. It didn't leave any sort of exhaust trail. It, there was mm. no seemingly, like, oh, the, you can tell this is how it's being propelled. There was nothing like that. And so, I mean, these things really are a mystery. And it's a sort of engineering and propulsion system that, you know, like, somebody that is experienced flying fighter jets and shit like that, which is basically some of, like, the you know, the most high tech, mm -hmm. you know, aviation equipment that, that we have, you know, I mean, who has a bigger budget than the United States military? Who, who yeah. Like who out there made this? I'm not saying it's aliens, but I'd fucking love it if it were. 
or cross-dimensional well, beings or something like that. Who the fuck knows? But there's definitely things out there that defy scientific explanation. Oh, without a doubt. And maybe they're just waiting until number 45 is out of office to visit us. <laughs> <laughs> Did you watch the, the thing on Netflix about um, uh, it was uh, UFOs in Area 51? Um, um, it was really, really fascinating. It was uh, Bob Lazar. Was the, oh the, yeah, I've seen a few of his. Um, oh, I don't want to say shows, now but the stuff he was talking about was really, really interesting. And the fact that his yeah. story hasn't changed at all over as right. many years has been talking about it. And he doesn't seem like he's out trying to make a bunch of it money and gain fame and no. notoriety off of this. Which is then what else is the fucking point? Well, what's... he he says that there were these crafts that the government had, and it wasn't at Area Fifty One. It was a a different site that was like further away from Area Fifty One. Right. Well, Area Fifty One's pretty big, so it might have been a different complex on that base. Exactly. That's what he's talking. Where he's saying it was housed, and there was all these different crafts, and they were saucer shaped, and they had um, like some sort of reactor inside it that wirelessly powered gravitational. Um, mm. Uh, basically like these things that they could move around. There was like each ship had three of them and it would project a gravity well that then the ship would fall into. And so that was how it was propelled was it was just manipulating the fabric of space time, which is actually totally possible with physics as we know it. We just don't know how to actually make it happen or harness an energy source large enough to accomplish it. And so the stuff he was talking about is it sounds like sci-fi, but it's also kind of plausible according to einstein's theory of relativity where's tony stark when you need him <laughs> no shit right i mean like fucking get elon musk working on that Be like dude figure hey. out figure out directional gravity like projectors like that'd be amazing or even if we found like in the event the first avengers film when they plan to use the test rat as a uh an energy source yeah. You know, that would be, I don't think that's just scratching the surface. I think that's monumental as far as, you know, our survival goes. I think that would go a long way. Oh, yeah. You know, you know? but it's just, it just goes to show you how, even though we've come so far as a race, as a species, we have a long way to go as well. Yeah, I I don't like an antimatter reactor. I think is runs at a hundred percent efficiency. I'm looking up right now to see what you got me by the balls. I have no idea. Nuclear <laughs> reactor efficiency. Let's see. Typical nuclear power plants achieve efficiencies around thirty three to thirty seven percent. That means they're only harnessing about that much of the energy that they're generating. Where or wow. like there's like there's a bunch of energy that's left over in the process or something like that. I'd, I'd need, I'd need Wetzel to explain it to me better, but the way I understand it is that when, do you know what antimatter is? Uh, vaguely from that damn, damn Brown novel. Um, <laughs> Angels and demons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, antimatter is basically, it's just like regular matter, except it's just the opposite. It has an oh. opposite electrical charge. So okay. it's like, you know, if, if, it's just opposite. And so when those two things touch, it's incongruent and they annihilate. So it releases 100% of the energy that's bound up within all those atoms. And so like yeah. an amount the small, the size of a pea could, you know, in theory be like 
a nuclear bomb. Or if you had such a way to harness it as energy, you could power like an entire continent <laughs> with it because it it annihilates at 100% efficiency, efficiency. So there's no energy lost in the process. Gotcha. Okay. That the, way makes I, sense. Uh, the way I understand it. And <laughs> I love oh. that next level physics shit. It's fucking, the thing that I find so fascinating about it is that it's true mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's the way science works. When stronger <laughs> science comes along that refutes the older science, science changes. Yeah. I like that science is adaptable. You know, as long as you use the scientific method to test a new theory, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to come off sounding like I know a lot about this stuff because I'm, pr- I'm pretty stupid. You know more than I, I do. I just like reading articles and watching documentaries and learning stuff. But otherwise, I'm pretty fucking stupid. Um, You're not stupid. <laughs> There's a big difference, okay? So yesterday, I just learned what gleaming the cube really means. And I spent 20 plus, 30 years of my life not knowing what it actually meant. So <laughs> Enlighten I, me. I felt pretty stupid. So do you remember the movie Gleaming the Cube with Christian Slater? No. <laughs> but go ahead. So it came out in like, I think, 1991, maybe. And he plays this skateboarder. And okay. uh, his half brother dies and then the police just call it an, a suicide, but he wants mm-hmm. to go and investigate it. And then in the course of being a badass skateboarder, he brings down these bad guys. <laughs> and, right. Of course. I, I remember when I was a kid, I loved it because I had a cameo with Tony Hawk where he was just like a pizza delivery guy. <laughs> hey, <laughs> cool. <laughs> and it's like young Kristen Slater, you know, 91. Anyway, there is this part in the movie where like he was riding a skateboard and he like, you know, jumps and kind of bounces off a wall and then goes back down. I spent my whole life thinking that's what gleaming the cube meant. He like bounce off a wall. And so I was watching my cats play the other morning and like one of them was, you know, they're chasing each other around. And so one of them did that jumped off the wall. I was like, Oh, look at Thor gleaming the cube. And I'm like, does, does that even really mean what you think it means? Why don't you use that internet machine in your pocket and find out? I couldn't have been more wrong. It has nothing to do with bouncing off the wall. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea the amount of times I use that in conversation. Oh, yeah, so, so I was gleaming the cube, and they're probably like, right, Joe. <laughs> you freaking idiot. So apparently what it means is, is that it's like you're so outside the box or the cube that uh, you, can, you can shine the outside of it with your next level ideas until the cube is gleaming. So if you're gleaming the that, cube, it means that you're riding the next level ideas. That makes sense. Okay. <laughs> See, my favorite Christian Slater film is Heather's. Yeah, that is a good one. I mean, my I favorite seen it in years. Oh my god, I have like three like favorite lines. One is, "I love my dead gay son." That just cracked me up because it was just so inappropriate to say at that funeral. <laughs> and the other one was, "Fuck me gently with a chainsaw." <laughs> and just the mental imagery that goes along with that, you're just like, "That's pretty terrible." Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> and the other one is, I was coming up here to kill you. <laughs> I had to revisit that movie. I barely even remember it, but I know, you know I, I know I saw it when I was a kid. When I revisited it, because my library has it, my library, God bless it, I miss it so much, but it's closed. It's like basically across the street from my apartment. So, you know, if I just want to go over and just get out of the apartment on the weekend, I can go, you know. So I revisited it. I'm like, 
He is totally doing a Jack Nicholson impression in this movie. That makes uh, sense. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people do that. It's I, I was listening to a Joe Rogan uh, episode the other day, and he was talking. It was with Tom Green, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how this show that Tom Green did in his house years ago was one of the inspirations of Rogan doing his podcast. And so oh. he's like, he's like, and he calls it like basically he's like one of Tom Green's little babies. <laughs> running around kind of because uh, there was a there was a comedian that had coined that phrase that he had said where like david have you ever heard david tell yeah he's got a very very unique style and delivery and so mm-hmm. many comedians would like like consciously or unconsciously ape that and so they'd say yeah dave's got a little babe a lot of little babies running around <laughs> I that was pretty funny <laughs> well did you ever see um tiffany have haddish um black black mitzvah uh i have not watched her special yet i've heard she's really funny though she is at the end of it she does her impression of a lazy ass exotic dancer oh my god joe it's hysterical (laughs) like just like sauntering out chewing gum and just doing it the most cavalier blase yeah um you know i'm humping the pole yeah whatever here here i am laying on the floor (laughs) of my bread you know <laughs> like she's so sick and tired of this shit but yeah here it is i get paid whatever <laughs> just like <laughs> that's exactly it's like that is hysterical because she's like you know what amazed me was was the laziest strippers who getting paid the most money <laughs> and i'm watching and that's why she's like y'all want to see my impression and they're like oh, yeah of course so she did that was like the last bit of the act i'm like that's fucking hysterical and i bet you she's not far off the mark either because really i mean if i had the body you know i would and not to mention the rhythm and being able to dance. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would definitely be an exotic dancer. Why not? <laughs> I just would, I just wouldn't be a lap dancer. You know, ew. Oh yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. There's. That. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I mean, the guy that's wearing like really thin track pants and he's covered in astroglide underneath them. Oh sweet Jesus! <laughs> they exist. <laughs> for sure they exist <laughs> I mean you know it's just funny because I've been like while I've been home I'm doing a lot of like um, spiritual exercises you know just to heal myself and I've been doing this thing where I I, I stand in front of a mirror and I, I name all the parts of myself that I like and so far the only thing that bugs me and I'm the only one of course who can change it I'm sure you can relate is my belly my belly has gotten really fat like distended like a buddha belly oh right? yeah no no I, I'm 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 rocking that too but I got like the the old guy beer belly one where it's like yeah. it sticks out but if you touch it it's like rock hard <laughs> for the most part and so it's like what the fuck is this it's, flab- the- it's flabby at the bottom of course but it's like and I'm looking Ugh. at my stretch marks. I'm like, are those stretch marks or are those fucking pleats? What the fuck is that? Pleats. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh. Like dress pants. <laughs> you know, because I'm a big believer in you have to be comfortable in the body that you're in, in the skin that you're in, right? If yeah. you're not proud of your body, then, you know, you, 
how do you expect to date? How do you expect to, you know, go out and meet people and be, you know, confident in your own skin? So you got to find something about yourself that you like, because this is the only body that you're going to get. And I'll be honest with you, Joe, I was never big on exercise. And I could give you excuses till the cows come home. Oh, I wasn't, you know, coordinated in school because of my whole hypothyroidism. It comes to I'm fucking lazy as fuck when it comes. (laughs) Yeah, just just being, you know, self-accountable. Self-accountability is huge when it comes to fitness. It is. The the other thing that can be good is if you if you get past those first few weeks of it, it gets a lot (laughs) easier because then you've cemented a routine. You're, yep. you're feeling the, the benefits of the endorphins that get released in your body when you do it. And and also, I mean, most people just feel better when when they don't have excess energy in their body. Because it's like, right. it, strangely, too much sitting around leads to feeling tired. But mm-hmm. it's like you don't sleep well because your body doesn't really need the rest. Like you, you haven't yep. gone out and, and, and tired yourself. And it's important to do that. Oh yeah, I've made it a point. Like I've been, I've been doing so much walking lately. Like yeah, two, two I mean, mile minimum walks after work, and that's it's great, super beneficial. And also, like, it's great too because then it's like I'll just walk and just you know think, be like, mm-hmm. okay, what's what's happening next in the plot? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's where I, yeah. I, I do just as much writing in my head, and so just going out and going for a long walk. Where it's like I'm just letting my body do something fairly mindless and repetitive. It just frees up my <laughs> mind to then, you know, work on other things. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. Like I'll take Patty for a walk. Now, I have to be careful because I want to keep him on the same schedule as when I'm working. So I can't go too far off the mark. I might go uh, take him out at 3 o'clock instead of like 530, yeah. you know. That's really just, smart. Yeah. Only because they get so used to a schedule, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so especially since he's getting older, he can't hold his bladder for, for as long as he used to, you know. So, you know, I'll take a walk and I'm I'm really trying to get my story under um control. Like I'm trying to like narrow like you know when you get a big idea. I don't know if this happens to you when you write, but sometimes I'll have this big idea and I'll add character models to my Pinterest board and then I'll whittle it down. Then I'll whittle it down some more to see what works and what doesn't instead of fucking writing. Well, what I do, this, this is my process for writing. Mm -hmm. I start with an idea and then I Mm -hmm. turn that idea around in my head until it's like, (laughs) Oh, a a very, very blurry rough sketch. And then Mm -hmm. I write an outline that is a very, you know, it's an outline of that blurry sketch, like simple ideas, like basically right. summarize things like that a schematic in, in just like, yeah. And then I, then I go through and then I start expanding on that. And so then it's just further levels of expansion. And so mm-hmm. then, you know, once I have enough of the outline done, then I can go in and actually start, you know, bringing the story to life and actually writing it out. But in the past, like the, the first novel I ever tried to write, I feel like the way I failed in it was I just started at the beginning and I just wrote until I was at the end and it was mm-hmm. a really fucked up process. And then cause stories can morph and evolve in your mind and, and as oh, yeah. you're coming on, you'll, you'll find new ideas and things will change course. And if you've already written beginning shit out and then you got to go back and re-edit it to match it, 
that's like where Game of Thrones went wrong on TV was they didn't have a fucking outline. Yeah. <laughs> or they had an outline and they didn't flush it out. Or, you know, you know I know I mean? many they, fans of that show and they're like, I don't know what the fuck they did in that last season. Well, exactly. So, so for me, it's, I just need to have, I need to have everything organized. Like my, for my fantasy story, for my zombie story I wrote, I have, I have maps. So like when I was writing the zombie story, I had like a map of the town where like the third act action really goes down. So everything was clear in my mind. I could just look up at it and reference where streets were where, uh, mm-hmm. for the fantasy one I'm writing, I've got like a map of this entire continent. So I know what's where and stuff like that. I've, I'll have pages where it's just character descriptions and, and what their motivations and stuff are. And, mm-hmm. and right. it's, it's been an evolving process for me, but I feel like the, the one I'm using with this book has been like the most fruitful so far, but I can only imagine that it'll continue to evolve over time. That's fantastic because, you know, I have the misfortune of I allow outside influences to influence my imagination. Like I was watching um, because I need I sometimes need character models as a physical model for a character so I can describe them. You know, I might look up, you know, um, in a thesaurus a different word for the color blonde you know because blonde's kind of boring you know blase so i'll scribble that down but i was using um james spader in blacklist as a, a character model for not for that character but for the boldness of the character you know what i mean okay so I was so trying to. Are you actually like using that character because because I know you're like a you're a fanfic fan, right? No, I was trying to extrapolate uh, extrapolate certain characteristics of James Reddington to okay. put them. Yes, yeah, yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, because James Devereaux is supposed to be this like highly influential um, character uh, businessman on Long Island. He's like a realtor and he owns vine- vineyards out east. But he's uh, highly influential in his community, and his kids have gone missing. Um, so I've been trying to like use that and then figure out his resources. And where I get where I've gotten hung up is, okay, so my three characters, how are they going to escape Japan without knowledge? And I finally got where they make friends with certain yakuza members who get them into this cargo ship into crates and they're hiding in crates and they're going to be shipped to Hong Kong, you know? So I've been trying to like piece that together. And with my friend, she's like, well, you know, in order for this to happen, this would have to happen. So she'll like, you know, walk me through that and, you know, and then I'll take, go from there and run with it. And then I'll write it down. That's my problem is I get too hung up on the details of how certain um, escape attempts are supposed to happen. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, well, sometimes in the craft, less is more. So if you find yourself that mm-hmm. like you're really writing out all the details of how it goes, sometimes for me, like I'll usually take care of that stuff on like revisions where I'll be mm-hmm. like, man, this is way too wordy. I, I don't need to say exactly which fucking hand he's holding this or, or, you know, you, do you know what I mean? Like, right, right. Like my old art teacher in high school was huge on saying less is more. And God right. damn it, if Mr. Mr. Butchie wasn't right. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I usually find as as part of revision, I'm usually like I add stuff in, but I take a lot of stuff out, too. Like mm-hmm. I, I really whittles other stuff down. 
Like just keep fucking hammering it until it's in its, you know, it, it's in the form that you need just enough to get the idea across. Cause that's yeah. one of those things that like, I'm much better on paper than I am speaking. Speaking, I'm way too verbose. I use way too many fucking words. But we all do that, Joe. We all, of course. Like, you know, because, like, I got to the point where I was asking my friend. I'm like, okay. I said, let me ask you this. Just just get a, a perspective. I'm like, if, you know, your your daughter um, was put into the program. She knew what I meant, the Battle Royale program. And you were told that she died of her injuries. So you believe her to be dead. And then like five or six years later, someone comes along and says, um, hey, uh, she's not dead. She's in Hong Kong right now and I'm going to get her. Would you like to come? Like, how would you react? Would you be angry? She's like, I think I would go through a spectrum of emotions from anger to wonderment to what the fuck. To okay, let's go get my daughter. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, you yeah, know, I mean, yeah, there'd be a whole range of emotions. There'd be, you know, hope, disbelief, the anger mm. would definitely be in there. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, I remember, like, you know, talking about like outside influences on your writing. I remember a while a while back, I had Doug Wagner on the show. Doug's a, a comic book writer, and he's written, he's. His miniseries, The Hard Place, is seriously, in my opinion, one of the best miniseries in comics you can read. If you want to go out and just pick up a paperback trade and just read mm-hmm. a really goddamn good book that's with gorgeous art in it, The Hard mm-hmm. Place is, the, is is where to go. It's about this wheelman for a bank robbery, and he's kind of being forced to do it. And mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a fantastic book. But anyway, Doug really awesome genuine person and he's been on the podcast a few times and when i asked him about his writing process he said that he has like a group of people that he's kind of like put together over the years that he really trusts that they run you know their he, he runs ideas and stuff through and he said one of the biggest challenges of you know that group was picking the right people that aren't going to take your idea and change it to the way they would do it there are people right. that understand what your writing style is and where you're coming from and what story you're trying to tell and then giving you advice based on that. And that, it, in or- my life, I've found that to be very true, that it, that it is challenging to find mm-hmm. people that can look at what you're doing and give you the type of criticism that you need, you know, the constructive criticism you need to, to be able to move forward with it. Because too often people be like, well, this is the way I do it. And it's like, well, you're not fucking writing this, are you? Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And that's my friend Maggie, too. She's like, she's like, well, let me ask you. She's like, do you really want to write the escape? Or are you more interested in writing Casey's recovery from this and being reunited with her family and the psychological aspects of what she's been through? Is that because you can she's like, you can go through her inter narrative like her mental narrative and you can refer back to the escape you don't have to show the escape you can do it that way and i'm like that's interesting that's interesting because she's like she's like i know you bridget i know you want to go through the catharsis of her redemption story of going through being abducted being trained as an assassin and then being conditioned to be an assassin and then being a full-fledged assassin and then escaping. She's like, but that's way too much. You would have to split that up into multiple books 
And I don't think you have the focus for that. She's like, I think you should narrow it down to one, one book, the recovery, and then look back. I think that's the way you should do it. I think that would be easier for you because that way you'll get the healing aspect in and you'll get that catharsis that you're looking for. And then later, if you want to go back and write the other stuff, you can. I'm like, good point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's right. It, it all depends on what story you're wanting to tell there. And, yeah. you know, there's all sorts of narrative devices you could use. You could, you know, it, it all depends on how you want your story laid out because, yeah, if you wanted to do to take place more in the present day, you could have narrative devices where you have flashbacks that, mm -hmm. that flesh out and, you know, have them come in at points in the story where it makes sense to bring them in because that's influencing the way that they're behaving in the present day and shit like that. Right, right. Because I've always been interested in the redemption story, which is a big reason why I love Bucky so much is his redemption story, his recovery, you know, or coming back to civilization from being a, a, an assassin for 70 years and being brainwashed for how many years, you know, that's gotta be like, they robbed his identity. Oh yeah. Speaking of that, are you really stoked for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Oh yes, I am. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> I recently saw a, a, an image of him in his like black, his new black costume, and his hair was cut short. And for a minute there, I thought it was Frank Grillo, you know, the guy who played Crossbow. Yeah. I'm like, he looks like Frank Grillo right there. That's really awesome, you know. Have you but ever we'll seen see the side by side comparison pictures about how close he looks to young Mark Hamill? Yes, I it's have. Incredible. Thing. that's amazing i hope i hope they use him i hope they do because uh i think it was in a tweet i saw that was reposted where mark hamill kind of quote-unquote acknowledged him yeah acknowledged as, his quote-unquote son yeah. <laughs> mark hamill is a joy on twitter he's so fantastic oh, he is he is but i like i said i love I love Bucky's story, even though it's – I love tragic stories like that. I've always been attracted to story redemption art. I I can't help – I guess I like that whole, you know, you know, kick someone down when they're – kick someone while they're down. But they find the motivation and the inner strength to get up and stand up. And that's partially why I did like the Captain Marvel movie. For some reason, I don't like Brie Larson in that role. I just, yeah, I didn't have any issues with her, but I've definitely, you know, seen that opinion expressed online quite a bit. I don't know if it was the direction that she was given or unfortunately, like Hayden Christensen in the prequels, he had, there was a really bad script. <laughs> very, you know, very bad script. <laughs> you know, I think, you know, poor Hayden Christensen, look what he was, he, I think he was doing the best with what he had, you know? Yeah. With the prequels, you know, because I'm sure like Carrie Fisher would say those <laughs> in that documentary, Empire Dreams, you can write this shit, George, but you can't say it. Come on. Well, yeah, I mean, that's it's it's true. I mean, <laughs> clearly, George Lucas needs people around him, you know, that with strong personalities. Be like, Look, we're, we're going to have to change the way this character says this, but we're going to get the idea across. It's just going to be better. Yeah. You know? <laughs> then your shit writing. OK. <laughs> Look, I don't want to shit on George Lucas because no. he gave us Star Wars, okay? I, I remember a long time ago I was complaining to a friend about one of the things with, with writing is, like, coming up with character names. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm like, oh, there's a part of me that just fucking hates that. And, <sighs> and, and he's like, dude, 
He goes, even the best of writers can struggle with that. He goes, look at how terrible the names are in Star Wars. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, Luke Skywalker, and he was originally Luke Starkiller. And I'm like, you have a valid point there. <laughs> well, did you see like, Han Solo's a badass name? So it's like, okay, you can't say George Lucas sucks at creating all names, but. I put a meme up in the leftover army saying with Leia saying, No, we're not gonna name our son guitar solo. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> like, Cause I'm like, you know, I don't know what your feeling is about Rise of Skywalker. I you know. It. I liked it too. Um I see where people are saying, you know, it's they're they threw too many ideas together to make one movie, they didn't and they have an outline. <laughs> you know, there you go. They, they didn't did, have when a they did outline. episode six or seven, eight, and nine. They should have had an overall outline of of yes. where it was going to go because you could tell by watching Rise of Skywalker or just watching those three movies in a row, you can tell that they did not have a unified idea. Right, and you know, I was listening to uh, Chris Eaton's podcast, my one black friend my one white friend yes i love that show those guys are a joy they are funny because chris will say things that most people would not say no. aloud. <laughs> <laughs> you know well, just, the the warning that yaden recorded for him you know shout out yaden vo <laughs> so yeah look up yaden vo if if yeah. if you need stuff done because yaden's fucking fantastic um <laughs> mental note i need to fucking get him on the podcast again um uh, <laughs> Yaden, yeah. So anyway, the the warning that he recorded for that show, where it's like saying of all the things, if you have a problem with any of this stuff, take the stick out of your ass and proceed to throat fuck yourself with it. <laughs> like if you make it past, if anything in the episode offends you more than that, <laughs> so and the funny. rating bumper slays me every time. They're yeah, they're like three minute long rating bumper. <laughs> Oh, those guys are funny. They they have a I I uh, recorded one of their Star Wars variants with them. I was on their Rogue One episode. Oh, and it was okay. so much fun to talk with them. Yeah, I was just listening to uh, with David Isaac on the Last Jedi, and I have to uh, no, was it Revenge of the Sith? But he was talking about the Last Jedi, referring to it, and I agree with him. One of the reasons why I liked the Last Jedi so much because it was a bit big middle finger. Oh, I love the, the Last Jedi. To those fanboys who have their own scripts written in their head of how they think the story should go. Exactly. And that's I'm why like, when, when people have a problem with stories because of that, it's like, then it's like, yeah, I, it's like, write your own shit. <laughs> if, you, exactly. if your ideas are so brilliant, like, fucking put them out there then. And, and some people do. Some people do put their, you know, do have creative pursuits where they do that. And, yeah. And so that's where fans say, well done. <laughs> You know, that's that's why fanfic is so good. And that's why some authors will say, please don't write fanfic in my universe, because if your stuff uh, messes with the timeline or messes with, you know, my plots, then, you know, <laughs> it's going to fuck everything up. You know, yeah. I can understand the appeal of people wanting to write fan fiction. I don't, I don't yeah. think I'd personally ever do it just because I like creating my own sandbox to play in. Right. Like, that's why I like to – I'll borrow this and that from certain fics. Like, I've used Battle Royale a lot in my stories, but for a specific purpose, and then it goes away. It's just a way for Shinra to recruit new Turks, you know? That's sure. how 
you know, that's how he finds ruthless people willing to kill others that they know, you know, but like, for example, um, we saw a lot of fanfic after Harry Potter ended because either people wanted to fix that Snape was dead or they wanted to, uh, spoiler. (laughs) 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 Star Wars Han dies. (laughs) The book's like, been out since like 2007. Fucking, yeah, get over know, it. For, like seriously, it's like. <laughs> um, or they want to fix that. You know, Fred died. Personally, I think Percy should have died, but that would have been too poetic justice to me, I guess. Um, or they want to do away with the epilogue because it was too happy, shiny title up in a bow kind of thing. You they know, do away with what? They want to do away with the epilogue, where oh, you know I the epilogue was great. I didn't have a problem with it, but I saw how people didn't like it because they felt that either uh, Harry didn't belong with Ginny, they, he belonged with Hermione. But no. usually you'll find that with those people, they only watch the movies. They didn't read the books. And if exactly. you watch the movies, the there's a heavy – Sorry. The, the first time I finished Deathly Hallows, I closed mm-hmm. it and I said she t- she tied that up with the most perfect bow. I was like she mm-hmm. left almost no strings hanging. It was well fucking done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it. I didn't have a problem with it, but I can see where certain people would have issues with it. Like, you know, I really wanted Draco to be redeemed. He kind of was. He kind of was. But if you watch, like, I don't know if you had the Blu-ray of Deathly Hallows and watch the behind it a couple times. There's a behind-the-scenes documentary where Harry uh, Draco was going to have a heroic moment and throw Potter his wand and go just go Potter and run in front of Voldemort, you know, to get away from him, but throw Harry his wand. Yeah, and see, I just I like the way that she accomplished it in the book. I do too. I do too, and I really wish that, you know, because if you look back, we didn't have Endgame then, but. You know, you watch it, and I'm like, oh, they got dusted. I guess they were snapped out of existence. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was the same kind of, you know, visual effect. I'm like, really? That's how you – because I just wanted to see that body hit the floor. <laughs> I just wanted to see Voldemort just, like, fall like a goddamn waxwork and just go, yep, he's dead. He's definitely dead. <laughs> Total tangent, but did you see that Post Malone uh, Nirvana tribute that he did with Travis Barker? No. Oh, my God. What What is your opinion of Post Malone? I don't know what that is. You don't know who Post Malone is. Okay. So he's like a like kind of like hip-hop type singer. Okay. And when I first heard Post Malone, I heard his song Psycho, and it was the video <laughs> And I was immediately like, oh, I don't, I don't like this at all. This is fucking terrible. And then <laughs> from there, it went to the point where now it's like Post Malone's like one of my favorites. I, I really like him a lot. Like oh, I, okay. I will intentionally listen to a lot of his music. And uh, But then just recently, he did this like benefit thing, you know, for proceeds going to the World Health Organization, I think. Mm. And so he teamed up with Travis Barker, who was the drummer for Blink-182. And okay. Travis Barker's just insanely talented drummer. And then um a couple other dudes and they just did like a hour 15 minute long set. You can find it on YouTube. Oh, okay. An hour and 15 minute long set of all Nirvana songs. And so at first it's like 
okay, Post Malone, you're going to do Nirvana songs? Like, uh, sure, sure, okay. But, um, like, did you listen to Nirvana much back in the 90s? Not really. I do like some of their songs, but I didn't, I wasn't a huge fan of theirs, but I have huge respect for, you know, the group and Kurt Cobain, of course, yeah. you know. Okay, well, I'm going to play the beginning of, of them doing Stay Away. Okay. Like, this is fucking legit. Okay. Uh, the YouTube app is loading. <laughs> I'm going to start when you guys are. Okay, here we go. fucking legit <laughs> like, good to me i i don't care how up your ass you are with no no nobody can match nirvana la, 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 la. it's like i'm not saying they match nirvana did better i'm just saying dude that was post malone that just did that that was fucking incredible he was the one playing the rhythm guitar on it wow and the fact that he could do that with his voice mm-hmm. i mean unbelievable what? You want to see a good documentary about a uh, guitarist? If you look at, um, it's Jack White. Um, okay, sure. For Jack, the White stripes. Yep. Uh, Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin and The Edge from U2. Oh yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah, things uh, things might get loud. This might get loud. It's a really good documentary, and they, you know, they introduced me to um, Link Ray. Uh, I forget what the. It's called Rumble, and it's just a rhythm guitar thing. I'm going to see if I can find it. Um, I'm such a nerd. I make playlists for my characters. <laughs> I'm such a, I'm such a nerd. That's um, funny. I do. I'm such a nerd. Let me see if I can find it. Um, hmm. uh, iTunes. There we go. I'm on my iPad, so it's very... It's different than iTunes for me because I'm a spaz. What do you want for my life? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it's not on my. It's not on my iPad. Oh well. It's called. Um, oh, maybe I can find it on YouTube. It's called Rumble by Link Ray, and um, it's a really good. It's a really good tune. It's just a guitar, an acoustic guitar. I gotta look up the artist. Link Ray and the Raymen. Okay. Huh. Yeah, I've never heard of them. Okay. Oh, there we go, right up the top. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. Let me see. I watched this really good documentary lately too. And it's not the first time I'd watched this one, but mm -hmm. um, it's, and you can watch it on YouTube. It's called, uh, it's called Samurai and it's a documentary that came out in 2010. Ah. Yeah. And it's, it's hosted by Mark uh, DeCoscos. Well, 
<laughs> Everything okay? <laughs> yeah, I hit. I have one of those uh, portable keyboards that I it connects magnetically to my iPad, and I press too hard on the volume button, and the keyboard collapsed. Oh, that's funny. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm an idiot. What do you want? Yeah, but uh, this documentary is great. It it's um, it's it's him talking about being a martial artist, and he's. I think he says he's a quarter Japanese. And so he's always wanted to go back to, to Japan and, and learn more, you know, mm-hmm. about the roots in that part of his heritage and stuff. And a lot of the documentary focuses on a guy named um, uh, Miyamoto Musashi. Ooh. Musashi Miyamoto. You probably heard of him, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Because yeah, he's like a huge legendary figure. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, Japanese, like you can't even really call it folklore, even though he could probably be considered a folklore character. Um, but his, uh, he was an actual historical person that lived in like Japan in the feudal ages and a really, really fascinating person in that he, he brought about something that nobody had seen before. He pioneered a new way of using, a, a, a samurai swords and fighting mm-hmm. and dueling. And as such, like he went on to have like, I think over 70 duels that that he won he he killed his first person with a fucking wooden stick when he was 13 years old he beat a person to death with a stick in I a duel I remember you telling another when you uh, I've talked else. for sure I've talked about this before I, like yeah I I've yeah. been fascinated with this guy ever since the first time I saw this documentary like years and years ago when it first was released on I think the History Channel Oh because I remember just coming in from climbing in the gym one night and then I'd, I'd always sit down and kind of decompress for about an hour before I could go to sleep. And this right. was one of those documentaries that I watched one time. Oh, and, okay. and just the story of Musashi was so fucking incredible, but this documentary, you can watch it for free on Netflix. It's called Samurai. Mm-hmm. Um, just typing in Samurai and Mark uh, DeCascos, it was kind of tough to find. So I mean, Oh, gotta, I love Mark DeCascos. Yeah, yeah. So you got to search for it for a little bit. But uh, it tells this whole history of Musashi, and then it has him in present day going to like the still operating school that he founded in like the fucking 1600s or 1500s or something. Wow. And, wow. Um, you know, going through everything with the way it is now. But, but like Musashi basically learned this stuff like out in the woods. He spent like four years training on his own and pioneering the style. And then just traveling the countryside as a Ronin and just challenging people to duels. Wow. His most famous one was he was supposed to meet this dude at this lake and he was intentionally late. And then he fucking showed up with a wooden sword and killed the guy. (laughs) And so from that point (laughs) on, like he didn't engage any more duels with a, with a steel blade. He did everything with a, 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 um, what the fuck do they call it? A Boku, a wooden Uh training sword. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy shit. I couldn't even imagine having that much level of skill, belief in yourself, and in your craft. You would do something that dangerous. I mean, it's like next level human behavior. Yeah, well, that's what I I really love about um, some of the martial artists is it it really sounds like it, it has a lot to do with inner work and how you feel about yourself and knowing your limits and then there's the whole breath work and the whole thought process behind it. Like I know, like I use Sephiroth as a mentor for my character. 
you know, um, he doesn't get a lot of time based on what I've seen from the old Final Fantasies. I know they came out with the remake and the artwork looks brilliant. Like, I can't wait to sit with my friend Ket and watch him play it and see the graphics because I'm sure it's going to blow my mind. <laughs> oh, yeah. The remake looks incredible. Oh, my God. I really and, love what they did with it. The, the, the comic book artist, Jen Bartle, has been doing <laughs> all sorts of, like, she's been, like, super obsessed with it. And she's been releasing so much fan art that is oh. just gorgeous. I mean, she is such a phenomenal artist. Oh. But the stuff she's been doing, the, the Final Fantasy stuff she's been doing is just great. Oh, I love, I really, of all the Final Fantasy stories, Seven is my favorite story because yeah. it deals with the it's Earth. It's the only one I've ever played. <laughs> yeah. Because well, like, when it came out, it was like there was so much buzz about it that I was mm -hmm. like, fuck it. I've never really played one of these games. I mean, I played RPGs on the, the PC and stuff and really loved it. Mm -hmm. and, and, but nothing had, nothing was like Final Fantasy Seven. Like, I think I have like close to 60 hours Wow, wrapped up in that in, in that same file. I loved it playing that. It was so good. Well, yeah, and uh, Sephiroth was one of my favorite characters, really. Um, but I used him as I have the scene in my head where she undergoes her final, where she's quote unquote abducted from her her bunk, and supposedly abducted by one of the um, the resistance leaders who tries to convince her to join the resistance against Shinra. Anyway, she wins the she wins the battle, and as reward, Sephiroth presents her with her own Masamune, uh, the, the his huge sword. You know that one, okay. the katana. But he presents her with her own version of that. It's, you know, because the Japanese are very into ceremonies and ceremonial. So it's a very, it's almost like her graduation present. And he bought this at an auction. It's a real Masamune blade. Gorodo Masamune is a legendary swordsmith. And his, in real life Japan, his swords are in the Museum of Natural History kind of thing. They're oh, cool. the Japan. Yeah, in the archive, the National Archives. But because so, if like this were Kill Bill, he'd be like Hattori Hanzo. Yeah, basically, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So because Shinra doesn't really um, hold that much value for that kind of stuff, it was you know Masamune's blades are being sold at auction, and Sephiroth used his money to purchase this blade for his worthy student, his only student that he taught how to wield the Masamune. So. It was monumental for her that he gifted her with this. And this sword is, she forms like, I don't want to say a relationship to the, because that's kind of a weird word for an inanimate object. But, you know, she has a bond with her sword because she puts so much work into it. And <clears throat> Reno's like, you know, I thought you didn't want to become an assassin. And she's like, well, I don't want to be an assassin for Shinra, but I like learning how to fight. I like learning that knowing that I can take care of myself, that I can defend myself. That's very important to me as a woman, you know. And he's like, oh, okay, I can see that because you know, Reno, he's he doesn't give a shit about that kind of shit. You sure. know? <laughs> I love Reno. He's another favorite character. Um, <laughs> he just <laughs> he's like whatever, you know, <laughs> but. You know, to me, that as as a woman who doesn't have the coordination, let alone the fitness or agility 
to have a character who can do those kind of things, that's important to me. I'd likely put my eye out if I used a gilded, no, wielded a katana. <laughs> that would not be a good idea. Sharp objects plus Bridget equals disaster. <laughs> But it's just. Did you see that clip online of that Amazon warehouse worker complaining about the stuff that people are having shipped to him? Oh, no, I did not. (laughs) But I can only imagine. (laughs) Total tangent, but. (laughs) No, I can only imagine. Because, you know, I, you know. I was concerned because I cook for my dog and I was concerned about having frozen food for him, for his vegetables, for the stew I make for him. I make him two different stews on alternating weeks. One week I'll use ground turkey as the base and one week I'll use chicken thighs because that's the most nutritious part of the chicken. And then I'll throw in like frozen vegetables like broccoli, broccoli, cauliflower and carrot slices, um, maybe if I have apples in the house, I'll dice up the apples and I'll throw them in there along with chicken broth to keep the stuff moist. And now I can't find frozen food whenever I go to the store, oh. which is a big problem for me. So wouldn't you know it, the, I, I bought Rachel Ray Nutrish dog food for him because I thought, God forbid, if I run out of food, you know, I'll soften this up for him and I'll just like, I'll give him a quarter of a cup at first to let him, you know, get used to the food and then, you know, he'll have food. Of course, when I'm talking to the vet, the vet's like, well, you know, that Rachel Ray food, it's, um, it's the FDA is investigating it to be a link to heart disease and Whoa. being that you has a heart murmur. But this is why I stopped giving my dog dry food because with the with the dog food companies, they'll buy each other out, and the 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 buyer will cheapen the recipe with filler food. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I'm like, well, son of a bitch, you know. So you you really can't give your dog that now, Joe. If he didn't have the heart murmur, I would continue giving him the dog food because I'm like, he's ten. <laughs> you know. <laughs> sure. You know what the, you know. She's like, well, you can get Royal Canaan. I'm like, no. I'm like, lady, listen, with all due respect, as a doctor, I said, I'm sure you mean the best. But I reversed my dog's crystals by making his food. So fuck you. (laughs) You know? Here's this Amazon worker. You got to hear this guy. This is fantastic. (laughs) Oh, wait, wait. Come on. (laughs) <laughs> they should not be selling non-essential items. If you go on the website, all the essential items are, are sold out. Until you restock and until you close this building, shut it down. Dildos are not uh, essential items. <laughs> Books for kids, yes, but dildos? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> He's like giving a press conference. There's microphones on a stick in front of him. <laughs> Did he get fired? I have no idea. <laughs> oh, You're essential to me, Dan. No. <laughs> this is this is where the internet's at for me. <laughs> Holy shit! I need, I need that shit in my life. <laughs> but he's right, you know. <laughs> 
you know, they're putting their lives at risk, you know, delivering packages, you know. No, absolutely. Well, especially when they were talking about, you know, the, the virus could live on a cardboard surface for three days. And then people yeah. are just going fucking bonkers, ordering shit into their house. And it's like, okay, you're self-quarantining, but you're bringing in all these outside packages every day. Well, I leave my stuff out in the sun for, a, you know, a few hours. They said they said a few hours to do it. And then when I was looking, you listen to uh, How Stuff Works? Uh, don't listen to it, but I used to, like, there was a show that was a real similar idea to that that I used to watch a long time ago. Okay. They did an episode on the coronavirus. And the, a cardboard box is called a fomite on what you believe, an inanimate object and what uh, the virus can live on. And they said there's no, so far, there's no correlation between cardboard boxes and the virus contamination. So, of course, if you feel safer, leave the box out in the sunlight for, you know, a few hours, then use gloves to open the box and, you know, wipe everything down that you bought, you know, excuse me, but there's no reason why you should be, uh, you know, contract the virus from a cardboard box. It's not considered a fomite. So I don't know, you know, I, as a precaution, I would just use the rubber gloves and open the box, wipe everything down, not touch your face and, you know, go from there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, I've been getting like pantry items like cereal, pop tarts, you know, mm -hmm. you know, because my store is within walking distance, but they're basically completely wiped out of food. Yeah. yeah. It's ridiculous. I can only imagine how much harder it is in like the really densely populated areas. It's like, like where I'm living in Iowa. It's like, it's a, you know, it's a, I'm on the edge of a big city for Iowa standards, but for, for the, the coastal States, no, not, not nothing. Or compared to Chicago, like Cedar Rapids is barely even a fucking suburb of Chicago. But. I'm not even going to touch the whole toilet paper issue because that's just <laughs> damn ridiculous. No, that's just people panicking and then monkey see, monkey do. Exactly. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's just stupid. It's just humans being dumb. I've been using vin white vinegar to clean my, my household stuff. Um, baking soda, uh, baking soda and lemon juice. And they're non-toxic chemicals to use to clean your shit going on <laughs> yeah yeah there's that there's always home remedies for lots of stuff that, that you know you, and you could do just in a pinch. show how disposable we've become like how lazy lysol wipes really so you can't like wet a washcloth <laughs> <laughs> that's funny yeah, that's you know, true though you know, it, it's just, but what pisses me off are these people discarding the rubber gloves and the masks in the store parking lots. Yeah. Well, people are just dumb assholes. And then you got the fucking morons that are out protesting, like screaming in the faces of people that are wearing masks. And it's like, wow, you're showing everybody on the internet what a fucking moron you are. And, you know, because my friend Maggie lives in Tennessee and, you know, her husband has a home business where he reupholsters and creates furniture. So he has to go to Lowe's to get his lumber. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he, she's like, Bridget, I stayed in the car. She's like, but Jeremy was fuming by the time he got back to the car because no one was observing the social distancing. You know, I said, well. You know, how are you, have you guys heard of any cases by you? 
you know, and she's like, not really. I don't think we've seen the spike yet. I'm like, well, just wait, because you will. Well, yeah. Well, Iowa just opened back up on Friday, and that day we had the highest amount of reported cases that we'd had. And it's like, really? Really, Governor Reynolds? This is when you decide to open it up, you fucking idiot. Really? That's a surprise to you people? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We'll see. You know, it's just, it. if anything, this teaches us that, hey, we need to really consider how we're living and consider how we take advantage or take for granted food in our stores, you know, you know, our, how we take care of ourselves, how, you know, how dismissive we are as a collective society, Yeah, you know? Well, and it's also showing that a lot of our political leaders are no better than Lord Farquaad from Shrek. Oh God. Some <laughs> of you may die, but that is a sacrifice I am willing to make. <laughs> well, brilliant asshole. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, really, dude, really? Because you know, my my landlady's cousin is in. She's on the front lines in one of the local hosp Huntington Hospital over here, and you know, her L Linda seeing the protesters really like pisses her off and i don't blame her yeah absolutely. i really don't blame her anybody in healthcare should be pissed about this you know and, but and, well and with a lot of these people just like flaunting the measures and be like well, we've already locked down for this long it's like but we didn't there was like a subset of the population locked down a subset another subset was not able to lock down because they were essential and then you got <laughs> the people that are just flaunting it and so it's like right. you can't really say with any measure of it's like yeah what we did slowed things down but there's nothing to say that there's not going to be a higher peak now if everybody immediately jumps back in and, and i think that that's going to come right down to subsets of the population as well i think there's going to be people who learn something from this and continue to be cautious and there's mm -hmm. definitely going to be people who just throw caution to the wind and run back back out there and, and try to recapture a semblance of what the status quo was before this happened and you know it's going to be the people with the cavalier attitude or who are probably going to end up getting the virus. Well, of course, or, or they would end up being an asymptomatic carrier and infecting people around them. And then, but it's like, there's people out there that are literally saying right now, it's, it's okay. If, if, if some people have to die because of this, we we just need to get the economy going again. And you know, like, yeah, that's, that's where capitalism gets fucked up. People want to fucking worry too much about, keeping some old rich white guy fucking rich when it's like, they're not the one that's being affected by this. They're not the ones that are being, did you see that thing with the Las Vegas mayor? Oh, saying get... that they want, she wanted to use Las Vegas as a test scenario. And Anderson Cooper's like, well, are you going to be down there on the casino floor? And she kept dodging that question. And finally she's like, well, number one, I have a family. And it's like, Oh, and the, all the oh, casino really? workers don't. It's like, Jesus. So it's like, on the one hand, you're going to, recognize that this is dangerous and I need to protect myself. But there's a right. whole lot of these brown people out there and these poor white people that we just need to get their asses back to work. You know, I get it. Okay. See, this is all right. This, I'm going to try to articulate this as best I can. Okay. Right now it's like a double-edged sword. Okay. On one hand, I get it. People want to get the economy going because they're scared of what's going to happen if we don't. On the flip side of that, 
we're not out of the woods with this fucking virus. No, okay. not, 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 not by a long shot. No. And I don't know. I, I, I think instead of listening to political leaders and business leaders and stuff on this, we need to be listening to people in the CDC. We need to be yeah. listening to actual experts on it. And, yeah, and that, like right now, like our politicians, they're not, do you know that the white house is blocking Dr. Fossey from being able to speak to Congress? How's Congress supposed to make informed decisions on this if they're not able to talk to a, a, a an expert in it? Like, you know, they're not able to talk to the expert. Think, you know the the huge the Capitol building, that whole top piece of the the Capitol building is like the fucking ego of our government. <laughs> yeah, okay. it's definitely equal parts ego and hubris. It's like, okay. Really, guys, let's get our shit together. Stop sucking each other's dicks and stop waving them at other people. Who cares about your dick size? I certainly don't. <laughs> Brilliant. Think, I, I 100% agree. Think with the head that houses the brain. Oh, that's right. You haven't done that in a while. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's like, all right, people, we're going to have to learn to be com more compassionate towards others and realizing that everyone is doing the best that they can except for our government because I don't trust them to find their asshole with both hands and a fucking flashlight. <laughs> that is true. And so it's like, you got to be, again, it comes down to, you know, self-accountability. It's like, be smart, make smart decisions. Remember, it, masks protect other yeah. people from so you. The, so if you everybody's know, wearing a mask, everybody wins. So, you know, I mean, I think the biggest business that's going to suffer from this are the movie theaters. Yeah. It'll be hard to see if people want to get back out there right away. And... While I enjoy to get at, getting out of the house and going to see a movie, getting the movie popcorn, you know, having that experience, um, would it be such a bad idea to bring back drive-in movie theaters? Well, I mean, then it's a question of infrastructure and uh, do the drive-in theaters already exist? Are they going to spend X amount of the money to build them on a, on a, a hope that they're going to pick back up when you're in certain states? You know, yeah. really only have temperatures where a drive-in theater works certain parts of the year, then it's really not economically viable to do. I mean, that's probably why I've personally never even seen a drive-in movie theater. My well, parents tell me they used to exist around here in the 70s yeah. and 80s, but there's there's none around here anymore, at least that I know of. Well, sadly, here in New York, real estate is at a fucking premium, which is a fucking laugh riot because if you look around my neighborhood or, you know, up on the major highway, Sunrise Highway, they'll be built these fucking strip malls, like tear down woods, like natural, like woods to build up these fucking strip malls where the businesses don't survive. So now you have an empty strip mall. Well, fucking brilliant, you fucking asshole developer. <laughs> yeah. You know, like right now we're having we have this um, controversy going on where this old uh, the Island Hills golf course, they want to turn into a huge development. Now, here in New York, unbeknownst to me, um, my landlady was telling me this renters don't pay property taxes. 
So what the what the homeowners are having a huge problem with is you're gonna put this huge these huge apartments into this development where we're not gonna get any property to where the homeowners are going to be taxed, their property taxes are going to go up. Our schools aren't going to be able to handle the extra load. Our our traffic flow is going to be compounded. It's already compounded because the roads that we have now have been in there since, you know, before there were cars and SUVs. Well, yeah, that and that's where like really old cities like the streets can be really fucked. Yeah, <laughs> because it's like they were made for when horses and shit were going through, and so yeah. some of those streets are just not right for cars. Yeah, and you know a lot of our like Lakeland Avenue is a two way highway in and out of our town, out of Sable. So you already have you had to put a light, a red light between one side street and Lakeland Avenue so that people could get out of the apartment complex to get to work or wherever they're going to go. So you're telling me you're going to put a lot more lights. Well, brilliant because that's going to let, let add a lot more traffic flow. Like these developers or you want to talk about capitalism, Joe developers are the worst. Oh. <laughs> I'm like fucking for real. Like, are you thinking with a brain? Oh, that's right. You can't think without a brain. Oh, that's right. You can't think. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, everybody's looking for that next thing that's going to get more rich. And so, I don't know. That's that's the way it is. I think when I do it, we're just – we're going to have a bigger change. But, I mean, now's the time where you could potentially see something change because things have been so shaken up. The status quo has been disrupted. And now yeah. moving forward from this, there, there's the opportunity to make things better. And we'll just have to see if that gets embraced or if people are going to want to go back to the old easy way. Right. And, you know, my friend from California said, watch, this is going to come back in November because you got the flu season. And now you have coronavirus. Yeah. You never know. They, I mean, they really don't know if it's going to be affected by the seasons or not yet. It's it's And, and that's the thing about this is that there's just so much in the air. There's so much up in the air that we it's it's really a wait and see type situation. Yeah, like I, we've never seen anything like this before. Like we we weren't around when the Spanish flu, you know, came yeah. about. You know, so you know that spread like wildfire. You know, but <laughs> it's so. <laughs> My landlady and I, she's like, you know, I've been saying for years that they, they just have to, there has to be some kind of plague or something to, like, call out the population. Oh, yeah. like, well, Bill Burr's been having that joke in his specials for years. <laughs> and, and so it's like, now that we're there, it's like, oh, it's really not as funny. <laughs> but well, I, I don't know. I, I, I think, really, it, like I said, it, it all comes down to personal accountability and, yeah. and it, if we if we can get more people to wear masks, that's really going to help with the spread of it and just get people to be smart in general. And mm -hmm. that's really going to be the hard part going through because now it's been politicized. And so there's people that feel like, oh, well, I'm on this side of the fence. So therefore I have to not wear a mask and not give into the liberal agenda and shit. And it's like, no, it's just it's just smart behavior, man. Have fun with the whole mask situation. Yeah. Pers personalize it for yourself, you know, just. <laughs> Find a way to make lemons out of lemonade. Come on. Yeah. It's not that bad, people. You just got to <laughs> adapt. If you don't learn to adapt, you're not going to survive. 
that is a I think that would be an excellent place to wrap this up. <laughs> and then, hey. There you go, people. Those are the last words. Not the last words to live by, but <laughs> those are the good Get parting together, words to live people. by. Get it together. Do what's right. Do what's right for the herd. You know, be like I mean, a better soldier. On. Wear your fucking face mask. Social <laughs> distancing. He's been social distancing for seventy years. Get with the program. Perfect. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anything else you want to add in where where people could find you or or anything like uh, that? Uh, no, no. <laughs> I do not blame you. <laughs> I can't remember my my pet my um username for archives of our own right now because I'm drawing a mental blank. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on and chatting. It's been a it's been a good time. Yeah, same here, Joe. Same here. <laughs> and thank you all very much for listening. Until next time, this has been Startcast. Thank <laughs> you.